Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to tell you about 70 Million, a Peabody-nominated podcast about criminal justice and jail reform from Lantigua, Williams & Co. Each week, starting September 14th, a team of reporters around the country will chronicle how communities are enacting criminal justice reform in their neighborhoods, from bail system and racialized policing to -to school-to-prison pipeline and the spread of COVID in jails. The team hears directly from people impacted by encounters with jails and adjacent policies and from those committed to reversing the negative effects on people and communities. 70 Million was recognized as the bronze winner in the narrative documentary podcast series category of the 2019 New York festivals and a silver winner in the 2020 competition. Now it's in its third season and it's made possible by a grant from the Safety and Justice Challenge at the MacArthur Foundation. 70 Million is a member of the Democracy Group, a collective of podcasts exploring the meaning of democracy today. And the show gets right to the heart of social upheaval we're experiencing and how communities all over the U.S. are taking action. Listen now at 70millionpod.com or search for 70 Million in your podcast app. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54 the podcast that helps the 54% of us who did not vote for Donald Trump talk to those of us who did about the most divisive issues in our country. We've been starting each episode by talking about conversations that we've had with Trump supporters in our lives because we know that modeling that behavior is important and that many of you are struggling with having similar conversations. I'll go first this week. I did an interview uh, for the Biden campaign with a conservative talk radio station in Phoenix because obviously you know, Arizona is a, is a major swing state in this election. And one of the questions that they really were you know, coming after me with and really, really emphasizing was, when is Vice President Biden coming to Arizona? They kept saying, President Trump uh, has campaigned here. He's going to campaign here. And, you know, I went initially with the campaign talking points about here's how many virtual events that we've done in Arizona. I had just personally finished doing a virtual event uh, with veterans in Arizona with Congressman Ruben Gallego. But I was thinking in retrospect, I should have leaned into the idea that, look, Vice President Biden is keeping people safe by not doing as many big events. And yeah, you know, he, he's going to try to get there to Arizona, but he's also showing leadership by modeling responsible behavior and not just picking up and bringing a bunch of people from out of state into every state without being able to take the proper precautions first. So I feel like I should have leaned into that uh, a little bit more in, in making that argument. Is Trump coming to your state helping your state or is it actually inflicting harm on your state? And there he's victimizing your states when he comes to visit. So that is I agree with you that that could have been a, a, an interesting way to just turn the tables on the question. Uh, I, you know, I was I was expecting you to go with something related to the Kansas City Chiefs this week, Jason, because the, the Chiefs were so it was so politicized 
uh, oh, the opening right. of football. As you talk about, I at least want to hear about how just sad it is to have politics on opening day of NFL football after you won the, the Super Bowl. Like, it, obviously, opening night for the Chiefs was great. I mean, the team looks incredible, and they, they, they won handily over a really great Houston Texans team. And, yeah, it kind of took the edge off of it when there's only, I think, 16,000 fans allowed in the stadium because they're spacing everybody out. There was a small group of people who booed during this moment of unity at the beginning, but you could hear it audibly um, on the broadcast. It was reflecting on Missouri and reflecting on Kansas City. And, and that is frustrating because, look, we, we have a progressive African-American mayor. We are a progressive city. But obviously the team, you know, the fandom is from all over the area. What I think was most upsetting about it is, is it gave people the impression that the entire crowd was booing. So I've talked to people who were there who were saying that what happened was when that moment of silence started, somebody started a Trump 2020 chant and that the boos were to drown out the Trump 2020 chant. I don't know if that's right. But I guess what's frustrating about it is, is for the entire country to get this idea of where you live based on this one moment. Um, yeah, it, it, it takes away a, a one potential avenue for us to connect with other people who are different. Right. You know, the, the, the bills, for example, I was at the opening day or it was maybe the second week or whatever that whatever that week was a year ago or two years ago when the kneeling first became a big issue that Trump was talking about. And uh, I took my dad. And I remember being in the stands and for the first time in my life, just being uncomfortable to be in the stadium, you know, one of my favorite places in the world to be, because the people around me were saying things that were, they were just embarrassing for the fan base. It is really upsetting because sports has always been the thing that somebody, we can disagree on whatever you want, but we're always going to be able to talk about sports. Yeah. And I think like a good question in, you know, as we kind of move off of this topic is to people who feel like everything's getting politicized and don't want to lay at the feet of Trump is tell me what the great Obama sports scandal was where he weighed in on, you know, anything going on within our sports world. There just wasn't one. So mm -mm. closest know, he got, I remember the closest he got was he came to Kansas city and he gave a speech at a uh, closest he got for me. He came to Kansas city. He gave a speech at uh, an auto plant. And I remember uh, it was one of, it was the first time I ever met him. I met him beforehand. And then, and then he came out, and in his speech, at the time our quarterback was Alex Smith, and he opened up by saying, hey, a pretty good football team y'all got. Maybe one day you'll get a quarterback who can throw more than 10 yards. Oh, my God. And I thought, man. And people were like, boo. I respect <laughs> that, though. I respect yeah, sports like, honesty razzing, from politicians. Yeah, razzing yeah. the hometown crowd yeah, yeah. is I, – I was like, oof, yeah. get some stones. Yeah, like I, I always thought about this as somebody who's always been interested in politics, that if I ever ran for office in New York City, I'm a Bills fan. What would I say? And I would say I'm a fan of the only team that plays in New York because the Jets and the Giants are from New Jersey. People could boo me all they want for that, but I think people respect that. So we have a listener voicemail that I want to analyze for the you know sort of just thinking through my part of just the conversations that I've been having lately with people who disagree with me. So why don't we play that clip and then react to it? Hi, Jason and Ravi. My name is Michelle. I live in Escondido, California. Shout out to my friend, Melissa, who turned me on to your podcast. I love it. I am so grateful for what you guys are doing. So I have two questions. One, um, who, is the, who is Uncle Sal married to? Because I have an aunt, a family full of aunties. I have a couple of Uncle Sal's, but I've got a lot of Uncle Sal's wife. And I'd love to have a, a fun, funny moniker for uh, Uncle Sal's wife. Secondly, 
uh, a lot of times when I'm talking to friends and neighbors, I get this, oh, poor Donald Trump, he's he's being put upon, people are giving him a hard time, you know, it's it's more than just the whole fake news thing. I don't know how to respond to that. Michelle, first of all, because you got you pointed this out that we've been talking about Sal, but we haven't been talking about any of our female relatives enough. You get to pick the moniker for uh, Sal's wife or just uh, whoever our other relative is. And so you could just either tweet at us or go back to the voicemail. And for everybody who listens, uh, we encourage you all to go to our voicemail and, and send us messages at 508-687-2589. And so we'll have fun with that. Um, and if you want, you could send us another voicemail about what this uh, hypothetical relative uh, is giving you a hard time about this week. But more importantly, this idea that Trump and his supporters love playing the victim is really important. That's why I picked this voicemail, because uh, I hear this all the time. I hear it from supporters of Trump who are uh, relatives and friends of mine. And I hear it from Trump himself, obviously. And I think there was a uh, an FBI investigator named Mario O'Toole, who's like a famous profiler of criminals, who has this term she calls injustice collectors as like a psychological profile of a person. And I think that Trump and his supporters have become injustice collectors. They are now trained to look for constant injustice in their lives. And they catalog those and they deploy those anytime they're challenged on anything. And obviously impeachment was a great example of this. And I find what, what's really ironic about this is that's what they accuse the left of doing, is constantly feeling like they're aggrieved. But this is the uh, most aggrieved political movement that I think we've seen in a long time, and it comes right from the top. I think just pointing that out and pointing it out as just weakness, I don't think you have to go through the litany of injustice. I think you just ridicule it and be like, look, this is you're supposed to be the tough guy. You're supposed to be the leader, and all you do is talk about how people are wronging you. There was a great moment from uh, the Dallas Mavericks owner, who was on Sean Hannity a couple years ago. You know, Sean, this is what really bothers me about the president. He's the most powerful man in the world, and he always plays the victim card. The Dems are out to get me. The media is out to get me. You've got to be the leader. You've got to be the strongest man in the game, and he just hasn't shown that strength. I think a lot of people say, I think you're right. But I think the problem is a lot of people's instinct here is to immediately talk about how terribly uh, people treated Obama, right? Like the, the the first instinct is to say, I mean, how can you even say that when the guy you're talking about claimed that President Obama wasn't born in the United States and wasn't eligible to be president? Like it doesn't get a lot worse than being treated that way. The problem is that won't work because, as you alluded to, the genius of what Trump does is he makes people feel like attacks on him are attacks on them. And so for anybody who is saying, look at how horrible he's been treated, it's a little a little bit like what they're saying is, look at how hard everybody has been on us, on people like me. So I don't think we'll have any luck convincing people that it's not hard for him, because then it's like saying, look, it's it's not hard for them. So you have to focus on what you're saying, which is instead, you got to demonstrate that he's way too focused on himself, that he mostly focuses on how he's treated and that's when you put yourself on the same side of the table as them and say, he focuses on how he's treated rather than how we are treated. So you ask them, do you complain to your kids about how hard your job is? No, <laughs> you, you know, you focus on trying to make their lives easier. That said, I do think it's fair to make sure they understand that you actually don't think he's been criticized enough. Like, it's okay to say, just so we're clear, I so disagree with you that I think he has gotten a pass. But that said, if you feel that he has been treated unfairly, don't you also feel like he's too focused on how unfairly he's been treated when it's not exactly easy out here for the rest of us? 
I like your idea of the parenting piece or teachers or what if people just were constantly like your firefighter showed up and he was like, man, like it's been a double shift. Like, you know, right. you I'll get to, to your fire in a minute. Yeah. Or like, I'll do it. But like, God, like you need to be appreciative of me. You know, it's like, that's not the leaders you think about that inspire you. Right. Or FDR, <laughs> yeah. who's just like, you know how hard this is being president with the disability that I have? You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, this is insane. You know, <laughs> like, that's a great point. Like, insert Trump into history. Oh my God, Russia is talking about nuking the entire country. Like, why has everybody got such a problem with me? <laughs> <laughs> we have some news this week, Jason. And it, uh, I want to first send uh, a message to our entire listener base that's dealing with the fires and the hurricanes. We've got a lot of friends and family out there. We've got a lot of listeners out there and we know how hard this has been on you. And so we just want to say that we're thinking about you. So um, obviously we've all been following this. You know, we have 2 million acres that have been burning California alone so far in 2020, which makes this a record year for fires. And Trump took two weeks to make it down there um, and then finally visited. And uh, in his visit, he kept pressing this message that the White House in general has been pressing and the, the right wing media echo chamber that it is poor forest management, not climate change, that is the source of this problem. Let's play a clip of Trump's exchange with California's secretary of the Natural Resource Agency of that state. Actually work together with that science. That science is going to be key because if we if we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians. Okay. It'll start getting cooler. I you wish just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> hey, well, I don't think science knows actually. Tom, please. Let's pause on this clip for a second because uh, Jason, I think this is illustrative of a few things, but you know, one thing that particularly like bothered me, like incensed me about this clip is one thing you can hear, which is there's chuckling going on. And so there are Trump officials who are laughing. But two, one thing you as listeners don't know if you didn't watch this on TV is that there are California officials at the table and then there are federal officials. And you could probably guess what I'm about to say. You have the president, you have the secretary of Homeland Security all sitting at the table with California officials not wearing masks, chuckling um, at earnest explanations of, and I think respectful, nobody can accuse uh, the California officials of being disrespectful about something that they frankly should be disrespectful about. And they're not wearing masks. And that Secretary of Homeland Security is sitting to the right of this official, this California official not wearing a mask. That's not what we're talking about in this segment, but it just effing pisses me off, Jason, that this is where we are in 2020 after all of this. Yeah, you can't help but be pissed off at the idea that the president is enjoying watching a state burn. I don't know that he is, but gosh, it sure feels that way. And the problem with that emotion is it's not particularly persuasive, but it is it is authentically how I feel. I think that this comes down to the leadership qualities in this election being defined as there is one person who is like most people who have ever run for president of the United States and that he's interested in this Joe Biden in leading the entire country, whether you voted for him or not. I thought not. you were going to say Kanye West. I was, I'm glad you <laughs> clarified it was Biden. You know, I think I think maybe Kanye is also interested in leading the entire country. <laughs> I would give him, maybe not, but interested. Yeah, right. I would give him more credit than Trump. Like, yeah. he, you know, and that's what's so frustrating is that 
the idea of wanting to lead the country in order to be the president of some of the people is just a thing that we've always taken for granted that no one would do. Like, why would you do that? It is, I think, really important to remind people that, you know, that's really what presidents are supposed to do. Like, your guy may be in office right now, you can say to somebody, but when my guy or my gal is in office at some point, don't you hope that they're, like, at least going to try to be a president for you too? This question around the climate science, right? So what you saw at this briefing was Gavin Newsom and other officials in California super methodically and respectfully saying to the president, I know we disagree, but I have to mention this climate science to you. And the president joking about it and casually dismissing it. And his cadre, his posse, kind of like, you know, Biff Tannen and his buddies just kind of laughing it off. And we have a listener question about this this week, uh, about just how to handle this at our tables, you know, when, when we're talking to our families. Hi, yeah, I'm a California resident. My name is Andrew. I live in Los Angeles. And um, my family, I have family in Indiana and in Pennsylvania, um, who are planning to vote for Trump. I'm obviously not. Uh, I'm wondering your thoughts on uh, if the climate crisis and the current uh, the fires and the smoke and uh, everything going on with the uh, wildfires across the West Coast, if it's worth tying it into the climate crisis, um, or your thoughts on how to talk about my honest experience of everything going on here in a way that might resonate with families um, in the Midwest. Thank you so much. I think this is a really important question. So I think that you can and should talk about the climate crisis. I think, number one, because if scientists are correct that we're going to have a two-degree-plus increase in temperature globally by the end of the century, we have to sound the alarms on this every election from here on out. Because if you like, this is a metaphor I use with my family, who don't people who both agree and disagree with me on this who just don't read the science very often is, just think about two degrees doesn't sound like a lot, but think about if your human body, which is at 98.6 degrees, were permanently increased to an average of 100.6 degrees. You would probably die, right? And so two degrees in global increase in temperature is just a catastrophe. And so we need to ward that off in every way possible because you care whether we disagree or agree on politics. We have kids, we have grandkids, etc. And then the other metaphor I use is uh, of drunk driving, which is... Every time one of these incidents happens, I think it's important to say, in most cases, that we, we don't know for sure whether climate change like caused this one thing. Just like if we were a state that just legalized drunk driving, any one accident involving somebody drinking, it could be that that accident would have happened whether that person drank or not. But that wouldn't be the conversation after that accident. The conversation after that accident would be like, what the F were we thinking? Uh, legalizing drunk driving, whether this guy just happened to make an honest mistake or whether the alcohol played a part. We all are going to point to the alcohol and say that is going to massively decrease the likelihood of these things happening. And so that's what I say to family members. It's just like, we, we're not going to know. And like, forget all the people who say this one thing happened because of climate change. I, and I understand why they say that. It's frustrating to try to find these moments to captivate people's attention. But the climate that we've created is just it's it's a it's an abomination and it's it's going to threaten the existence of humanity so maybe we should come together and try to solve this thing yeah i think the drunk driving analogy is awesome i hadn't heard that before i think that's i'm going to use that from now on and for the listener i absolutely think you should talk about the fact that you're worried that your neighborhood is going to be swallowed up by fire caused by climate change and presumably your relatives care about you uh, but even if it's not persuasive right now even if they're able to you know 
put that little block up in their in their mind and say, yeah, that's really terrible, but it's not climate change. And if it's not going to change their vote in this election, in the long run, we have a responsibility to just be permanently educating people about the fact that climate change is about more than it being hotter. Because I think it's really hard for people to understand how, you know, something they've only understood as it's getting hotter to, to be, oh, that's why we're having more hurricanes. That's, you know, later into the year. That's why we're having, you know, wildfires. I think it's hard for people who don't have a science background or haven't read the science to make that leap. And so I think, uh, I think both the analogies that you used, Ravi, are really, really good. I especially like the drunk driving one. Uh, but I also think it's important to just educate people a little in general, like to save the planet, whether it's to win this election or not, just to help people understand that changing the climate causes all sorts of insanity to happen. Uh, our friend Tucker Carlson, the evil genius, weighed in on this as well. In the hands of Democratic politicians, climate change is like systemic racism in the sky. You can't see it, but rest assured it's everywhere and it's deadly. And like systemic racism, it is your fault. So I think the key line here uh, is, it is your fault. And this is why I say evil genius, because as easy as it is to really, really dislike Tucker Carlson, we have to acknowledge that he is extremely skilled at what he does. So what he's doing here is he's taking systemic racism and he's taking climate change and he's doing the thing we talked about at the top of the show. And he's saying, look, everybody, it's just another thing where they are blaming you and they're making it harder on you. And I think this is a reminder that the important thing to do here when somebody comes at you with this stuff is to respond with, no, it is our fault. And this is particularly true. Yeah, if you're if you're a white person and, and someone's linking systemic racism, climate change and saying, oh, look, it's supposed to be my fault. Saying, you know, as a white person, I think you have to say, no, 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 it is our fault. I have been a part of the problem, just like you have been a part of the problem. And no matter what, no matter who you are, if the subject is climate change, I think you should say, no, 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 it is our fault. Because there is nobody listening to this who is 100% you know, carbon-free in their life. So it is, it is everyone's fault. And so we should all just own this together. Amen to this. And I think about this a lot when it comes to climate change, because I think a lot of people who are well-intentioned folks in, in the middle, especially, are like, I didn't cause slavery. So why are you telling me that I need to constantly apologize? And they're like, you know, you want me to reap white fragility and like curl up in a ball in the corner. And I know there are some of my friends who actually that is their prescription of the problem. That is not mine. And I don't think that's our podcast prescription. Our, our prescription is, hey, we're people with different experiences. Uh, it is whether it's our fault or not, it sure as hell is our responsibility, whether it's climate change or racism. So like, we could have the fault conversation, but let's get to the, the responsibility conversation. And I think that's where we can all like rally around and start working. You know, I have this bad habit of, you know, people say you shouldn't try to do work while laying in your bed. Like you should keep sleep and work very separate. And that is particularly true if you have a Helix mattress, because when I try to like, you know, make some notes for the pod or, or do some work for my day job while laying down on my Helix mattress. Like, I can't do it. I'm like, no, no, no. While I'm here, I'm going to fall asleep. And, uh, and so, yeah, don't, don't, if you get a Helix mattress, don't try to do work while laying on the mattress. Yeah. And I think what's really important is what they do when they customize these mattresses, right? So it's really important how you sleep. I sleep on my side. I filled out the sleep quiz on their website and they matched me with the Lux Midnight mattress, which, uh, as we've talked about before, is the mattress that both you and I have. We, we share that and many things in common. And so what they wind up giving you is a mattress with a medium feel. It's not super firm. It's not super soft. It's right in the middle. 
And because of that and other details that you give them through the quiz, you just get a different experience. Yeah, it's, it's customized. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, you can add on sheets and pillows or whatever else you need for your bed. And then the mattress comes right to your door within 10 business days. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take our word for it. It was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com majority54, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash majority54. This week in misinformation, we had a scandal at the CDC this week where it came out that they were making political, that political appointees were making revisions that were political in nature to CDC guidance. We had the HHS uh, communications chief accusing CDC scientists of sedition and left-wing activists of staging an armed insurrection. And he said, uh, if you carry guns, buy ammunition, ladies and gentlemen, because it's going to be hard to get. And then he went on, uh, and, and Jason, I would love to get your perspective on this. He, he went on to talk about, I think, a struggle with mental illness, which I don't want to make light of, uh, and I want to come back to. But the reason why the mental illness issue is not the story is because Whatever this communications official is going through right now to make um, him say such, I think, dangerous things, the president is reinforcing these things on a daily basis. What should we do with all of this, Jason? I don't know what the actual precise question is, but what do we make of all this? So I would center on the fact that you have all of this stuff being stirred up within the CDC by a political appointee, right? And what it reminds me of and what what I remind people of when I talk about this is that I miss being able to take for granted the idea that there were some things in government that were just untouched by politics. Political considerations have taken the place of practical considerations throughout government. And I think it's really important for us to get across to people why that is so scary. So you have to talk about the practical reasons that we don't want politicians to have influence over the CDC or the FDA or the patent and trade office, right? Because what if when the, let's say you're all for this administration, but what if when it changed, you suddenly got an all new set of powerful lobbyists from a different side of the aisle and they have access to these agencies? What if in the past we had let, you know, politicians who were influenced by lobbyists be completely in charge of the messaging from the CDC or the FDA about tobacco? There used to be for many, many years, just this idea that some things just stayed the same. And by the way, like if what you care about is the economy, if what you care about is business, well, volatility is really bad for the economy. Volatility from the government is really bad for small businesses. I, I can't even begin to tell you how many small business owners I've met who have been conservatives, but they've said, look, I am going to vote for the Democrat because they're not going to just massively change every regulation up and down. And they're just saying, I can work within regulations. I can work within rules. I just want them to stay the same for a while so I can plan around them. And I think the same is true for most Americans. Uh, we have a listener question that really affected us. And so we want to we wanna talk through this in addition to the, gen the, the specific misinformation we have. We want to we wanna talk generally about misinformation. Let's listen to this, uh, this voicemail. Hi, my name is Andrea, and I live in Oklahoma. And if you've got advice for how to talk with people who are spouting misinformation and believe it, that would be great. 
because I've been trying for four years and nothing gets through. I've lost friends, I've lost family, and admittedly, it's been heartbreaking and so frustrating. So, thanks. Sorry, I don't have an answer to how do you solve the misinformation problem and, and how to solve the relationship. All I can say is we sympathize and hear you on this. And it's there's this sense in America that politics is this sideshow and like it's kind of annoying and it's like, let's get back to our lives, but it's tearing our country, country apart. I don't have an answer for how do you solve the problem. All I can say is I struggle with this too. And... Um, I really feel for you. And that's what this community is about at Majority 54 is just creating a conversation where we might not live next door to each other. Um, at least we can have this space every week to have a shared conversation. The advice I would try to give to Andrea is that you have to try really hard to see their math. And, and it's, it's hard to do, but you have to start with empathy. You don't necessarily want to tell them that because you don't want to come across condescending. But you have to try and figure out how they got there. And, and that means getting behind their eyes seeing how they experienced the world and what their worldview is and how that worldview would have made them susceptible to believing something like what it is that they're saying. And once you've done that, you can sort of work the problem backwards. And that's how you can help to disabuse them of it. Uh, but you, you don't probably have the ability to unravel their entire worldview, at least not all at once. So you can't bite off that big of a piece, right? You've got to Figure out how they got there. And, and that can be with just a conversation, asking a lot of questions. Once you figure out where it is that they are getting their news from, a lot of the time it's how they grew up, what their, what their life experience has been. And once you've done that, that's when you can try to package the accurate information in a way that fits within their existing frame. But if you're trying to change their entire frame, you are going to be really upset and really frustrated. And it's definitely going to hurt your relationship with them. Because because you're challenging everything that they know, and they're going to feel like you're challenging them, and you're challenging their entire experience and the authenticity of it. So if you want to maintain your relationship with them, but you want to bring them around to your point of view, it helps to A, share with them your point of view and your experience, but B, see how it is that they got to where they are, and then try and present the information in a way that might be more easily digestible. Basically, what you're saying is also define your goals very clearly. So yeah. it's like, is your goal to just have a more civilized conversation? Is your goal to have them stop preaching to you? Is your goal to get them to maybe acknowledge some flaws in Trump so that there's a little bit of reality to your conversation? Like, I think about this a lot. You know, I saw my father this week for the first time in, in a little while, and I just was exhausted like you are in this call. I was so exhausted by the end of this conversation. And finally, I realized, okay, my goal in this conversation, uh, I'm never going to change my dad's mind. I've, I've acknowledged that a long time ago. My goal in this conversation is to get him to stop talking to me about it. <laughs> and that was it. That's my goal. <laughs> that was it. I just, I don't want to hear from him about it. And every time he brings it up, I change the subject. Yeah. And sometimes I think the goal can just be to be able to maintain a relationship with the other person and have them respect what it is you do or your view, right? Like I've got some real close friends who are, I mean, very, very conservative. But I have conversations with them where I just try and say, look, this is where I'm coming from. And I try and understand where they're coming from. And when I had that interview on, on CNN, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago that went a little bit viral, and I talked about um, how I felt about the president's attitude toward the troops, I heard from both of them. And while I imagine they were not convinced probably to vote for Joe Biden, 
they were very supportive of me. And they, and what they were saying was, you know, I think that was a great interview, you know, really proud of you. Right. So that's, I think sometimes just the goal is just get to the place where you may not be able to convince them, but you can maintain a relationship based on respect. So in our awards this week, we're going to give out one and it's going to be a new award. As we head into this election, we're going to begin to hear uh, increasingly loud and numerous courses of voices from the right calling for pretty scary measures, whether they're scary measures before the election, during the election, or after the election. Uh, So we want to roll out a new award, and let's call this one the Vladimir Putin Protect Your Power at All Costs Award. Uh, And this is an award that we're going to give out to members of the right who claim to love America, but will bulldoze any institution, norm, or law in America in service of keeping power. And this week, we're going to be giving it to Roger Stone. So Roger Stone, who, if you remember, was pardoned by the president. So this isn't just some random person on the right. This is a person who both helped the president at many stages of his life, including to get elected, and then was pardoned by the president. Stone went on Alex Jones this week and said that the president should take a series of draconian measures to stay in power, including having federal authorities seize ballots in Nevada having the FBI agents and Republican state officials physically block voting under the pretext of preventing voter fraud, uh, and using martial law or the Insurrection Act to carry out widespread arrests and nationalizing state police forces. So uh, Stone won this award. Jason, um, anything we got to add to this? I'm really glad we're addressing this because I get asked either on social media or otherwise so many times every week, what do we do if Trump does X? What do we do if Trump won't leave the White House? What do we do? All this stuff. And my standard response has been, that's not what we should focus on right now. We should focus on winning the election by as much as possible. And I stand by that. But I also think that this is a good sort of entryway to answer this question this way, which is we need to remember what happened in Florida in 2000. We were not ready for that. And the the right went out and they took to the streets, basically, in their in their very sort of country club way. And we did what Democrats usually do, which is we sat back and said, let's let the process and the institutions take care of this. So the answer to all of these questions of what do we do if all of this craziness does actually come to pass is we have to just be prepared to take to the streets in a sustained and peaceful way, very much like what happened in the uh, in the aftermath of, of, of George Floyd's death. And the reason that's important is that the Supreme Court, which is what this will probably come down to, needs to realize that this will be a sustained effort that is not going away, no matter how cold it is, no matter anything, and that therefore they should just follow the law. And so that's the answer to this, is that if, if this sort of stuff happens, the the thing we're just going to have to do is to be out there and be ever present. No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, whatever, we're just going to have to be out there and be in the streets. For grabbing ore, I'm just going to issue a thank you to everybody who participated in this social media campaign uh, that I've been doing with other influencers. I mean, it's been really incredible. We actually, over the last couple of weeks, just on social media, have raised over $500,000 for Swing State Democrats, signed up over 30,000 poll workers. And this week, we're focusing on uh, collegiate voter registration, uh, student voter registration. So keep an eye on my feed for that, and you can get the details. And for us, it's, uh, I'll just point folks back to arena.run uh, and our campaign toolbox, uh, which both has a podcast, but a series of tools, everything from how to run debate prep from experts like Ron Klain 
to how to create a campaign budget, a pathway to victory analysis, etc. So uh, if you're involved in campaigns at any level and you're looking for some help, we got some free resources for you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Jason Kander on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.